1: Available. He's on a short trip to South Africa and tremendous demand, and giving talks all over the city, and uh, it's a real privilege, for us having a person of Rabbi Lepiatsky's uh, stature and uh, a real rich knowledge of Torah in all different capacities to be able to share a few words of Torah wisdom with us, and uh, I'd like to on a personal level, so just thank you for accommodating the organization and uh, real privilege and honor for me to say, have exposure to your time. Thank you very much. So, I guess you've heard I've been doing a lot of talking, so if you don't mind, I'd like to listen a bit. I, it's the first time in South Africa, and you know, it's a, I grew up in the United States, I grew up in New York, where even the Goyim are Jewish in New York. Like, it's a Jewish town, I, you know, it's a very different type of setup. And the idea you know, where, where Jews are a real minority and that kind of a distinct group. New York belongs to the Jews. It's kind of, you know, that's sometime a quarter population, and certainly. So I have a very different take. I'm now in D.C., so D.C. is a little bit less of a Jewish town. But the universities in Maryland, where we, where, you know, we do a lot of programming, and this, is this huge Jewish population, and you know, it's a very different atmosphere in terms of interaction. And I'm just curious, I guess, to get a sense of what it's like to be Jewish in a place. That's very different. You're a minority. You're a very distinct minority. Um, what it means to group together, what it means to be Jewish, how do you identify yourself. So, if you don't mind, I'd like to hear from you. I'm just curious. I'm a curious person, and if I could, um, I guess somebody would like to tell me a little bit. What is it like? What's the sense of, of being Jewish in when you are a minority and a very distinct minority? Um, but somebody, well, I just, I'm curious. That's I'm just. We'll sitting at the schmooze. Yeah. Anybody? Yeah. Um, yes. I don't know. No, So I think South Africa has its problems with. You're South African purebred, right? Yeah. Born and bred, and. and you're, you're not an a, a undercover American. But yeah, yeah. You're real, real South African. Okay, great. Um, so uh, I
2: think first of all that's after you're in the apartheid I think the Jews were very anti-apartheid you know apartheid in the second yes I know not believe sorry. it. Um, <laughs> um, so the Jews are very anti-apartheid accommodating to non-whites and I think so the initial government that came in the initial A.T. that came in understood that because they were part of the struggle and they knew that the Jews contributed financially I mean I think Nelson Mandela did law articles in a Jewish firm and all of that. But I think the modern-day leadership of South Africa has forgotten about that. And they vary. we see, like, on campuses, there's BDS week, which I think is around the whole world. But here you get, like, head of youth leagues, ANC youth leagues, which is the ruling party, head of all these, not even the youth league, even... The leadership within the actual ANC come and have this very anti Jewish rhetoric. And so you see it in, t- you see like um, during BDS week, people wear like Hamas scarves and flags. And, and um, they, what what happens here is you, it's called Israel
3: Apartheid Week. And, and what they do is they draw on Apartheid narrative to. And that makes people very emotional, yeah, so they get a lot of, like, a big following as a result, you know, they use the word apartheid, and it's, like, and
1: the, the misconception of what it actually is. And and the, there are Arabs that come down to ferment it, or it's local, it's actually coming from the grassroots? They do. It's a mixture.
2: So
3: yeah. They yeah. Uh, yeah. identify with each other, like you know, as a, like the black and Arab being part of a struggle movement, mm-hmm. Palestinian.
1: Yes, even though Arabs were the enslaved blacks, so, but that's, uh, yeah, I guess it's forgotten for the, yeah. And sorry, what were we saying?
3: No, I was just saying that they start creating a huge following with anti-Semitism because they, caught, because they started this whole Israel apartheid. Does it flow over in, in, into
1: over into something? will they speak like Jews, or they they try to keep it clean towards Israel, kind no, of. No, it's all mixed
3: together because people people associate Israel with Jews, and so people don't know where exactly to draw the line between like Zionism and Judaism. People don't understand. People associate it as the same thing, and then they react the same way to
2: both. Having said that, though, that's one week in the whole year, and. Outside of that week, yes, you do experience some anti-Semitism, but we live great lives. I mean, if you walk around, yes, this is green hazel and it's the ghetto. But <laughs> <laughs> you just, you know,
1: it certainly looks yeah. that way. Yeah. You know, as an American, or I, actually, I was in Israel for twenty-five years. Where everything is on the street, the, you know, you live on the street in Israel, and here it's, it, it is jarring. I, I must tell you, yes.
2: Yeah. So you can you can like in terms of actual legislation, you define as a Jew. Day to day, you find as a Jew, you know, Jews, Jewish businesses thrive here. Yeah. I think majority of the economy is made up of Jewish businesses. Um, all the leaders are that, not leaders in, in the traditional, like the, the yeah, government the industry. Yeah, the industry leaders are all Jews. Um, you know, we walk to Shuan and Shabbos. Yes, we have like a, our own CSO, which is like a security organization specifically for Jews. But yeah, it's, it really is like. Jewish charities are considered um, non-profit organisations. Like Katola is allowed to act as a charity under the law, you know. So it's not that bad, but you you do see hints of it every now and then.
1: It's it's mostly from why don't we take on black people? I mean, American, African Americans. I guess uh, the African is, or it's the white population. White population is no longer a significant element in this.
2: Um. I think that black people, in general, I'm being very generalising here, is they're more uneducated. So, because of apartheid, I mean, they were they were given a different schooling system. And that therefore, they fall for this rhetoric, which are done by educated people. And they kind of, you know, they might get a free t-shirt and told us a lie, and they don't go and do the research behind it. But it's, it's not necessarily only from black people. I think South Africa has a large Muslim population, which like, on campus at least you see a lot of Muslims that are anti-Semitic. But I don't think as a whole like, you can consider them outright anti-Semitic.
1: Anybody has anything else they'd like to? I, I'm just curious. Yeah, I'm, I, I, think just, think yes. I think we should
3: touch on the actual Jewish community in South Africa, that it's a very tarpt, welcoming, supportive community that if anyone, any family needs help, there is so much there's so many people who are willing to help, I mean there's so many charities that go on all the schools, I mean there's three private Jewish schools but only Jewish children are at and I mean the amount of charity that they do and the amount of outreach that they, they do is amazing
1: Right. Well I've gotten a bit of a sense of, of, of the community that, I mean even even the, the ghetto community is very <laughs> wonderful And um, so uh, yes I, I see that that's let me say something else that I guess I'm curious about and um, something I've been thinking. I, I had, I, I've been in different places. Um, I've been in, I was in communist Russia for a week teaching. I they, they, you know, was kind of surreptious in the sense that I didn't officially declare them I'm didn't, but they knew, we knew. It was, it was, it was 87, so it was so totally done. I've been in many places. And, and here's a phenomenon that I sort of find and you, you wonder about it. Um, When we look for things that identify us as Jews, that we say we ought to come together as Jews, we speak about the Holocaust, Hitler, and the state of Israel, sort of in the wake of it, obviously. We're in countries um, that Jews were identified as such, threatened, and so on. This a sense of coming together in ways that are extremely moving, and exactly what you said It in, in the heels of what he said you said, but let me tell about the community they're welcome, they're welcome, fine in America, where let's say, as opposed to Europe in Europe, you know, France has its Arab um, anti-Semitism the French people have their sort of standoffishness with, with the Jewish people and you're identified as Jewish So even if there's not strong anti-Semitism, it's it's sort of... The barrier outside gives a definition to the inside. In America, where I come from, and in D.C., which is a very... um, It's a very American city. even though it's got tons of Jewish people. It's almost diffuse. And you sort of begin... The idea of sticking together as a community just about doesn't exist. The religious community, yes, because, again, we're very identifiable. We're very different... But the large Jewish population, people, the vast majority of Jews are totally unaffiliated. They even reform congregation, which is as permissible as you can get. They, they wouldn't belong, they just have no interest, no want. And I wonder about that, and, and let me give you sort of an analogy and then tell me what you think about it. You know, I was I'm into biology a bit, and when people look at a cell and people ask, what's the most important, I don't know the word organ, but subdivision of a cell. And there are a lot of good answers, there's the mitochondria, there's the nucleus, there's some cells that don't have a nucleus, but, but the one that people skip over is the outer membrane of the cell, because without it, the cell just disperses, the cell, it, 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 since things tend to disperse evenly, so what you get is, if you rupture a cell wall, then the contents spread out evenly and they don't come together, it's true about any definition. So what I like to ask myself is it, it, in those countries where there was a lot an external barrier like Soviet Russia the Jews were very identifiable and they stuck together or they completely broke now was people either assimilated and dropped they they had the name Jew taken off the passport or they were very very cohesive and very together in an environment like here where there's some threat um, you know, not terrible, terrible, but there's some sense of the we are the other, there is this intercohesiveness. So we build a stronger identity, but it's defined by the outside. The word Jew is defined by the person who calls me Jew. Jew. Um, if you if you were in an open society, like I am in the States, where in, in, the, in, the, in the cosmopolitan areas Jews are not defined as such, um, what, what would be a core definition? That you could define ourselves as Jews. Um, and, and, and we suffer from it. We suffer because there is nothing that brings us together unless we find some sort of positive identity. So I guess my question would be: is there how, how do you feel? Now you belong to a Jewish organization. Um, it's a Jewish campus organization, I assume. Um, and that means I assume more than just the negative, because it's not so terrible, has joined you together. How, how would you define what it is that you want to belong to? What, what, what is the definition, the defining cell wall? How, how would you in your culture define it? Open, 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 open. Who would like, it? I mean, it, like It's like I told someone, you know, I was once talking to somebody, and this person was not religious and he was upset with some things. Religious, they said, you know, Hitler didn't distinguish between yeah. religious and non religious, reform, orthodox. I told him, it's sad if I'm allowing Hitler to define my identity. Yes, it's true, and, and whenever a crisis comes, and, and, and anything, uh, Jews should stick together and help each other. I'm, that's, I'm for that. that I don't, but when I'm trying to define my core identity, or belief, or whatever it is, I would like to be the one to do it, and not and let Hitler to do it. So if we had to take off that, if we were living in a society where the word Jew meant nothing to people, um, what would be our, our definition that you feel would work for yourselves, or would work in general? Your your ideas, your feelings. Somebody else, maybe. I, I mean, I, I, no, I'm, I'm fine unless unless they appoint you as a spokesman. i think be glad. But but I, I'm just curious to get a sense of, of the the OLOM. The olum means the general group. I'll see. Good. Just introduce so yourself. What's your name? My name is and. You're great, at I'm not getting a, yeah. a, 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 an American answer. Uh, okay, fine, great.
4: Um, I think, first of all, there's
0: the technical consideration of what a, what a Jewish person is, um, a Jewish person with a Jewish mother. Um, I study in Pretoria, and it's a, it's a difficult um, thing that we deal with, because a lot of the time, um, there are people who come to our organisation, it's a student organisation, and they want to know about us, and we say, they say to us, so what, what is this organization, the society that you follow?" part um, uh, of? This? It's a branch of this? What is that? It's, it's it called? The, it's the equivalent of um, Hillel.
1: A ah, Ab- broad spectrum Jewish
0: organization, yes. That, yeah. um, and what is it called by the way, what's it called? It's called Sorges, the South African Union of Jewish Students. Okay. Um, and it's a, I mean, it's a difficult question because we incorporate Jewish people as well as people who are Zionist. Um, so, you know, you also get Jews who are non zionistic obviously. Right. Um, but I think that what what us as the South African Jewish community, and especially the youth Jewish community, um, I think that it's it's really about sticking together, as you as you mentioned. Um, I mean, when when people are in need, there's there's no second thoughts. As to um, as to where the community lies and, and the community exists in that community, um, and, and that will, that's something that'll always be there. Um, and I think this organisation specifically, as well, um, creates that that um, that platform. Um, I think that's just one thing. Um, I don't know. Maybe other people
1: feel. See, I, I I'll tell you why. It certainly resonates what you said with me, but I'll, I'll tell you why it leaves me unsatisfied. Because you're sort of putting the cart ahead of the horse. And um, let's give an example. I have one brother, so whether we like or not, we to stick together. There's not much to we, you know, that's me and my brother. I have a handful of cousins, and we're, you know, thank God, we're wonderful people that night, know each other, and we're there for each other, we help each other, you know, we live in different places, but the, the point is, it's because we're relatives, it's because we're cousins. We've grown up together somewhat. We know that somewhere along the line is appropriate to all people, so the cause of our coming together, helping each other, is that. And you told me a fact that people differ each other. That's positive. And that there was some vague idea of being Jewish. And and, and of the states, Jewish people are very kind. They're very giving very good. But the they will now give very little for Jewish cause, because they don't see themselves as being Jewish, they're universal, they're members of society at large. So is there any defining factor that this is, that would make us family? You mentioned being born to become a mother, it's a technical definition, a halakh definition, I subscribe by it. But I doubt that for someone who doesn't heavily subscribe to the halakha that would be a very defining factor. So I guess what it is to be Jewish, you know, you're talking about who is a Jew, I'd like to get a feel for how you get a sense of what is Jewish. Um, and, and that's, I guess, some of the things I would like to, to get a feel for. Can I please? Sure.
3: Please? Um, I think that one of the
1: main causes of us. By, by the way, way. is everybody here from Johannesburg? Is this where you came from? Or is anybody with somewhere? Yeah, so, so the population... Yes, continue, I'm sorry. it's um,
3: okay. I think that like, a, the definition of Jewism for us is kind of created by the fact that we are all brought up together. We're a small community, and so with only three Jewish schools in Johannesburg, we all almost know each other. Everyone, everyone knows who, like, everyone's kind of connected to everyone. I mean, your cousin knows their cousin, your cousin knows your son's sister, and we've all been brought up according to the same ethics and ideals, because our schools are all run by the same
1: the type of people, or by the same people.
3: Uh-huh. we've got all the King David schools and three King David schools which are run by the South African board of Jewish I education see. yes so we've all been brought up according to the same ethics according to so if you would law. identify
1: three oh great so now now I, now I think you've pointed me right so, so if you would identify three of those ideals that you feel would be the common ideals or as many as you wish to give so let 's get a sense of the flavor of that
3: I mean we brought up with having to have respect I mean having to help one another, charity. It's, it's interesting, it's the first interesting. one that you mentioned is
1: actually absent American culture. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually, I did notice it, and um, the word respect, it's it's not a full letter word in America, but it certainly is not a positive word. When, when you say somebody's respectful, it's, it's actually, in, in, in American culture, that's not considered a virtue of kind, It kind of being irreverent, is seen as a greater virtue. And the fact that you mentioned first, I find fascinating, yes, respect, and, and helping each other. Anything else? i just like to get a feel.
3: I mean, we all, I mean, like every Friday or Monday at Richard Park, you have an assembly where the whole school comes together. And often there'll be someone who stands up on stage and will almost give like a draw about the week and about everything. Everyone kind of learns something, no matter where you're from, no matter your background, if you are religious, if you're not religious there's a stage during the week where you're all learning the same thing about the Torah, about the week, about the Parsha.
2: Right.
3: So everyone kind of has the same grounding. I think okay. our
2: community is... I
3: get also, yes. I think our community is also based heavily on tradition. Like the South African community is very traditional. I mean, most Jewish homes like candles on a Friday night or um, have a Shabbos meal, stuff like that, little things that are around the world I haven't seen.
1: Yeah. And, and, and this is definitely unlike America today. Um, I guess, l- let me share some of my experience with you, my, where I grew up and in relation to what you're telling me. Um, the, the first point about respect actually is, is really alien, because America was built on disrespecting the authority. And that's part of the American ethos. So that's really unique and it's, it's a positive value. It allows for a lot. But, some, but the other two points you mentioned, the point you mentioned... Well, let me share something with you. My... I grew up in a place called the Lower East Side of Manhattan. As glamorous as Manhattan is, the Lower East Side is not. Lower East Side is the tail end of it. And it's where all the immigrants came to. I'm sure there's an equivalent to Johannesburg. It's where the, the first immigrants landed when they had nothing. The, 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 the slums, the tenements, whatever you've read in the stories, that's where I grew up. They have a museum, a tenement museum, where I am. The big houses, the bathrooms outside. I remember it as a child. I remember rats and mice. And I, I thought they were fun, but I don't think my parents cared for it. The walls were broken. They had, You know, I had that whole thing. And you had this huge, team, massive mass of people. They, were, they, they had many qualities you shared with me. And People stuck together. They helped each other. Everyone was poor, but everybody was there somewhere for each other. They fought a lot, but at the end of the day, you were there for each other. People had a common heritage. The generation that I remember, the elders. My my father, my parents were an anomaly. They were they escaped the Holocaust. They came. They didn't escape. They they they, they went through it and they came. So my parents were still immigrants. The basically all the adults I knew. They were the second generation. Their parents had come, and they were that. They shared a very strong emotional attachment to Judaism, in the sense that they um, they were brought up in a certain way, and everybody was like that. And there was a lot of warmth and kindness with it. So emotionally, they were there. They had very little education about it. So it was strong enough to hold that generation, simply because things that are bred into you at a very early age, in a very positive way, become part of you. The the way you talk about it, the way you talk about it. Um, And it it worked for them. And they were still together, so they were still together in the same place. The children, which is my generation, they went in one or two directions. Those who, um, who had a stronger Jewish education, became more observant and more aware of their observance and more aware of what they're doing. The other people saw it as sort of a sentimental folklore. And they would come once in a while from Long Island and visit the old folks. That they were completely culturally assimilated and their children were, in fact, assimilated. Because internally, you are what you are as a child. The warmth, the memories, the emotions, these things stay very close to the heart. But if the adult you, if, if, if you're studying university with intelligent people and you recognize or realize that everything is kind of just folklore and not terribly um, grounded in fact, it, you, it dissipates. It, it stays in the same place that Goldilocks stays in your heart. Um, it's nice, it's, it's a, it was a wonderful childhood, but it's got no bearing reality. It's important as an adult to revisit it and you've left your natural environment, you're going to university, even if you're in Johannesburg, or wherever you are, and whatever. And, and, I, and I do think, and I just think from the experience of my generation, you can't perpetuate things on yourself, maybe, but as you move a generation forward or two, things that are only based on childhood memory, affiliation, and warmth, it, it doesn't have the power, because as an adult you look and you smile and say, yes. It really was wonderful, but it was it was you know, just it was kind of the tooth fairy. It was it was nice and and that's why I do think organizations like this, and I, I know exactly what your programs are, but when you can look at it as an adult and reread those same stories you were speaking about, the same Russia that you gave as a child, which carried a certain childish simplicity, sweet simplicity, and revisit as a critical adult and understand it. I think it's extremely, it, it, it'll make all the difference in how much power you have to move to the next generation. But let me share a certain um, halakha with you. It, it comes from the world of halakha, but it's a, it's, a, it's a metaphor that works with this really well. On Shabbat, you're not supposed to cook anything. So putting some power on the fire and cooking it is prohibited, and that I'm sure everybody is aware of. Um, if you take the pot off the fire, and it's still hot, um, it's, and you put something raw into it, it may be considered like cooking. And the halachic word is khali rishon. The first pot that you use on the fire has a lot of heat absorbed in the walls, and it will cook stuff that will be put into it. Pour it into the next vessel. There's a profound drop, and it's able to cook anything. And basically, it can't cook anything. And my mother, who had lots of false wisdom, one thing she drilled into me was, when you make yourself a mug of coffee in the morning, make enough hot water to pour in a cup of hot water first, let it stand a a few seconds, pour it out, and then put the hot water, or else it'll cool off. I I do it out of rote. I I can't not do it, because she just sort of drilled it in. And it's very parallel to that halacha. In other words, Anything, when, you, when you're when moving it on to a next generation, if, if you still have, if you sat on the fire sometime, uh, metaphoric, you know, you, you you actually had your own struggle with it, thought about it, formed a, 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 a um, um, your own sense of it, based on study, investigation, um, you know, uh, experimentation, whatever it is, but it was a proactive type of search, then it'll it'll carry on certainly one more generation because it's very very powerful in you. If you rely on something you we received as young people I, from my from the experience that that my generation we're talking about tens of thousands of families. Lower East Side was huge. It was all the immigrants were dumped there and they just slowly moved out as they economically they became better off. So, so I, I would suggest in response. That what you're saying is extremely gratifying, that this is where you come from. But if you would like it to that your children and grandchildren and godborn great grandchildren have those same experiences, it, it needs to be, it, it needs to be as an adult, the way an adult understands it. It's very hard to look back at something that's a child memory and give it the right amount of sacrifice. You may have to live in an area. You have a choice between living in the area that has a strong community and the child doesn't have a sense of community. So living in a very nice place, but almost no Jewish community, it's a struggle. Unless, unless it's much more firmly, it, unless it's a much firmer conviction, it's a struggle. And that's why as adults, you're in university now, you're at the time when you can study and think of things and investigate things. And always, I, I push primary texts, look at texts inside, if you know enough Hebrew, Studying some text in Hebrew, it's extremely beneficial when I saw it or as opposed to I heard it from somewhere. You know, the, the difference between you can say, This is what it says, I saw it own two eyes, versus I heard the rabbi once say something like that, is a world of difference in how strong we convince you are. That, that's some of my feelings based on where I came from. And I did have a cousin actually in South Africa who came prior to the war years. She never had children, she was married, and uh, she, I, think she, I think she had stepchildren, dissipated. I don't think there's much left to the family. I, she was actually close to my father, write a lot, but um, I, don't, I don't know what happened to the children. Just, uh, we've been out, don't, don't touch, we haven't touched base. Any other things people would like to share with me about life here? It's, I'm just curious, I've been a few days, I'm leaving Wednesday, and I'm curious about student life and Jewish life and so on. Anything else you might think is, is particularly interesting?
3: I could add. Yes. <laughs> um, I just feel that being a Jew in South Africa, I mean, it's quite difficult in some respects, but in most aspects, it's actually relatively easy because no matter where you live, in whichever area you live, there's a shul nearby. You, you've got access to like, whatever, what, almost like whatever religious,
1: Fun, whatever, 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 you, whatever you'd like to engage yeah. in. Mind.
3: When it comes to
1: religion, I mean they're all different. You have Chabad, or you have the more. And, and on, let me ask you: when you're on your own, without any family pressure, how often do you think you would pop into a Chabad shul or some sort of a place? So in time-wise, how often would you think you would? Um, let's say you're living in Yon, you're working, you're living in Yon, you are working you are living in yon you were not living at home, and you know how often do you, do you feel it would be important for you to step into one of these places?
3: I feel that it would be important. That would also be made important to me because when you're a new person in a new place, often people on the shore will invite you over for dinner, make an effort to invite you to come visit the shore, and to make you feel welcome. And that's a huge part about tourism in South Africa. In
4: yes. Um. What well, I find interesting is I was speaking to an American also in America. An American. Yeah. In you know, the group. Yeah.
1: I guess you do once a week in America, you get an American <laughs> once a week. <laughs> yeah.
4: And um, they were discussing, so like in South Africa you get religious Jews but they might not keep fully pressured or or up So um, when I was telling that to him, he was saying that it's completely different in America. If you don't do those things you're considered conservative or not, you know uh, and then I think Mark instead puts people and he found that interesting. Yeah, that you get observant Jews in a way that might not be their own thing, but at least they they still stuck, uh, you know, stuck to their their values, their Jewish values. Right. Even though they might keep half kosher or something, it's still an effort, and they're not considered conservative. Right. They're still considered Orthodox. So that's what I was. Thinking. Yes,
1: I've I've also found that you know I, I've heard that to be the case, and it is good because. It's it's important for everybody. Even a person who's profoundly observant, everybody has the shortcomings, and it's important to be able to live with the fact I'm not doing everything right, but I know what is right, as opposed to having things fit me rather the other way around. I once heard uh, the following story. I don't have much time about five minutes, Um, and someone gave a, a, a personal illustration. Rabbi Achim Weinberg, one of the biggest yeshivas in America, was once speaking, and he said the following anecdote when he was a young man who was studying the yeshiva in Heimler. And you he were supposed to be at the study hall to ten o'clock like, at night. You know, it's it's usually divided into three periods of time. just morning and afternoon at night, and usually most yeshivas like from 8 to 10 at night is mandatory attendance, and then you're free to go or stay as you wish. So that... Evening, President Roosevelt was supposed to deliver a very important address at 9 o'clock in the evening. And everybody was in a quandary. There's no way they were able to miss President Roosevelt's address. It was probably before the war or something. It was something very important. They really wanted to hear. Those days it was the radio with the fireside chats, for those of you who are familiar with American history. On the other hand, they didn't they felt guilty about messing up a yeshiva. You know, yeshiva says it's supposed to be until 10 o'clock, what's more important, and so on and so forth. And he was struggling. So he had a brilliant idea, and he solved it. He moved the yeshiva clock ahead an hour. So he said, we were there till 10 o'clock. We didn't miss any of the time, and yet we heard President Roosevelt, and everything worked out really well. And he said, when his Rosh and his rabbi found out about it, he obviously, you know, he was a little intrigued with it, he was very clever, but he said, I want to tell you something. What you did is really worse and if you would have missed out, because if you miss out, then you know it's right, and you know that you fell short. So some someday you'll make it up. When you learn how to twist the weight and the meter and the clock to suit what you want, you've lost all sense of truth. There's a fascinating halacha, and it's a verse in the Torah. There are things that are not kosher to eat. You're allowed to keep them in your house. There's no prohibition against keeping non-kosher stuff in your house, except on Passover, you're not supposed to keep bread because we're not you know, bread is something that's so so used, so we're afraid that you might keep. But the Torah does not prohibit keeping around stuff that's not kosher. One thing the Torah prohibits keeping in your house, even if you never misuse it. It says false weights, false measurements that are used to delude people like a scale that's so off, not the type that you weigh yourself, that maybe might be you're permitted to do, to, to have a scale that's messed up a bit. But the stuff that you measure out things to customers, that you now not possess. And it's something extremely powerful, because other things you're, allowed to eat, you're not allowed to eat, okay. Here you're talking about a, a, a measuring stick, a yardstick. And when you have, when you learn how to have yardsticks that suit your measurement, then you'll never be able to do right because you'll always bend the truth. You'll always move the clock to fit your time. So, um, and, and I think that that's a very good point that you made. In America, what happened was when people were short on observance, instead of saying, you know, I'm a human being, I've got my struggles, you've got your struggles, this is what I can do. And um, instead of that, they just rebranded it and said, okay, it's like in America, when they want to give less, when they want to, they don't want to up the price on a product, they repackage it in a smaller version, and they call it new, brand new, and and they they simply have they, you you're paying more without even knowing about it. So, so what you told me about it is very very is a, I think it's a very positive value in the country. So I think I've come over with two very positive values: the sense of respect that you spoke about, which is a, a real it's a real Jewish value, respecting parents, elders it doesn't always mean obeying, but it means giving the person understanding that there's a lot to learn from someone experience, well, who's experienced more, who's wiser, who's a generation ahead of you, um, and so on. And the idea that um, you know, what you do yourself is, is is your struggle and your goals, but keeping in mind what is really the, the genuine picture um, is important, so thank you for for liking me. I guess I, I'm Thank you very much for being here. I'm doing Thank you. Okay. Thank you. take a break. <laughs>